The Mahatma had returned in 1915. The Congress and Muslim League had arrived at the Lucknow Pact in 1916. The Champaran Satyagraha was Mahatma's first success in India in 1917. And with the end of the war, Indian nationalists expected constitutional reforms. But what they got were the Rowlett Acts, the black laws that allowed for indefinite preventive detention. Indian nationalist opinion was outraged. Punjab became a key site of protest and satyagraha and on April 13, 1919 the British engaged in one of the most brutal episodes during their colonial rule the Jallianwala Bagh massacre it was in this backdrop that the mahatma's faith in the british finally ended he launched his first mass national movement against the empire the non-cooperation movement weaved together with it was the demand for the restoration of the caliphate a demand close to the heart of the indian muslims the movement energized the congress leadership in base the british were stunned but a violent incident in chorichora in 1922 saw the mahatma withdraw the movement as a matter of principle much to the disappointment of even some of his colleagues to discuss this phase of india's freedom struggle i'm delighted to welcome to this podcast the distinguished historian aditya mukherjee professor mukherjee has taught at JNU for many decades he's also the co-author of India's struggle for independence among many other books but this is a book that generations of indian students including me have grown up reading to understand india's pre 1947 past welcome sir thank you prashant so take us back to the mood right after jallianwala bagh massacre and the beginnings of the non-cooperation movement the war had already left a deep impact economic and uh, psychological on the indian people and as you said that uh, gandhi ji after coming back i mean he was not sitting idle you know from right from he comes back in 15 and from 17 to 19 which is when he actually launches the rowlets agitation before the non cooperation movement he indeed <laughs> launches an all india movement the rowlet satyagraha unless against the rowlet act so in this period is as you correctly said there is champaran there is amzabad uh, you know he fights for the workers of amzabad hmm? gets them of 35% increase in wages hmm? it's interesting what what is he getting at he he organizes the kheda satyagraha hmm? for uh, remission of land revenue in a in a bad bad situation so it's the workers the peasants he's taking up individual issues but primarily of the poor and the oppressed and then he takes up a big civil liberties issue which i will keep returning to because i think the non cooperation movement hmm, is very closely linked with one of the most important elements of the indian national movement which is the right to to free speech the right to free association hmm? 
but what you are pointing out is that the rowlett act attacked precisely these civil liberties and that is what motivated the mahatma absolutely this is what i am saying that right from the 19th century in fact even before the national movement the formal national movement really begins ramon roy huh, is among the first in the early 19th century to talk of the free press and demand free press as something necessary tilak goes to jail on that issue he is the first one to go to be put behind bars on section 124a for sedition for insisting on writing articles against the state right so this is not new but the mahatma is taking up what was a core idea of the indian national movement that democracy means free speech and free press press and the right to association and therefore he takes on the raulat satyagraha but as you correctly said that the the consequence of that satyagraha and what happens in punjab leads to the punjab wrongs the jallianwala bag issue and of course the the hunter committee report which studies that i think you've already discussed this i mean these left the indian people deeply disappointed even those who were uh, still believed that you could petition persuade the british raj to change course etc appeal to their wisdom were completely taken aback by the fact that a report could be written on the punjab wrongs which defended general dyer hmm? now this this was really the last straw on the camel's back in a sense so if you add all these up if if you are talking of what is the atmosphere in which the non cooperation movement is launched there are few other things that also happen the first is that the montego chancefort reforms you know then the 1919 reforms which bring in diarchy you know what it does is that in the provinces it says half the council members of the governor that is half the ministers if you like would be ics that is would be the government servants and the other half would be uh, non officials but they would be nominated so it was a complete disappointment the elective principle virtually doesn't exist of course the other half would be elected people but they would be nominated by the government in other words the government will choose which of the elected people they want to put in so it was a complete write off as far as the concessions in the area of uh, increasing self government was concerned the second was the whole issue of the caliphate the central issue was that the indian muslims and the indian soldiers had been cheated the government had repeatedly sought their uh support you know do remember that more than half the armed forces of the british outside britain hmm, were indians all right so it is largely indian soldiers who were fighting in egypt they were fighting in turkey they were fighting all over the place hmm? and the british got their support by repeated assurances that nothing would happen to the caliphate and what they did was actually the dismemberment of turkey and the complete taking away of all parts of the caliph so it it was really in many ways not sticking to a promise so this had left a large part of the population quite deeply disturbed and gandhi ji's taking it away taking it up uh, was a major uh, and very important decision in uh, bringing large sections of the muslims also into the movement 
then of course the war situation the distress due, due to the war hmm? uh, what britain did throughout the 20th century uh, was that in each phase of crisis of imperialism or of world capitalism if you like the first world war the second world war the depression i mean if you look at the first 40 years of the 20th century bulk of the period imperialism is in crisis 14 to 18 27 to at least 37 and then again 39 to 45 right in all these times britain put the burden of uh, meeting these challenges to to itself on india you know on a huge level i mean in, uh, during the first world war for example a gift was taken from india for 100 million pounds hmm? a war gift just a gift <laughs> you know just to give you one example apart from the fact as i said the soldiers the monetary and other policies that were brought in which were detrimental to india at that point of time but suited their war effort etc etc so there was an economic situation which was also very bad and i think all of this put together had created a situation where the people were ready to move and if gandhi ji was recognized across the board by everyone for something it was that he knew when a movement could be launched when it can survive and when it cannot hmm? so he had the pulse of the people and gandhi ji obviously had realized that this was a time when a nationwide movement could be launched hmm? the biggest mass movement since the mutiny we move to september 1920 this is when the mahatma finally decides it's time what happens then and how is the non cooperation movement different from anything that india had seen till that point in history i would go back one month more it was the 1st of august 1920 when the movement was launched in fact that day tilak had died so the 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 morning of for tilak's going away and tilak we must be reminded was enormously popular leader uh, all over the country at that time hmm? so his his uh, passing away and the beginning of the non cooperation occur at the same time and as i had said just now it it was the the first nationwide mass movement which really shook the empire and it it has been compared to the mutiny not by me but by uh, penderel moon you know the the ics officer who's produced these transfer of power volumes you know he's been a, brought in a lot of historical material for the future generations so it was compared to that it is not that we did not have mass movements before that there was the swadeshi movement but the swadeshi movement was largely restricted to bengal maharashtra and punjab but this movement you know spread from peshawar to calcutta to you know all parts of the country it was regionally very spread out and most importantly it filtered down to newer and newer sections of the indian people you see the 1920s is a very very important phase in the indian national movement you know it's not something that is not very well known the all india trade union congress is formed in 1920 and you would imagine i took of course this must be the communists no it was formed by tilak lala lajpat rai and c r das so the the notion that what does swaraj means swaraj for whom 
Swaraj is the Indian people. This notion was growing. So the Indian national movement from a, being a movement led by the educated intelligentsia, which is what it was in the 19th century, was almost decade by decade bringing in new sections of the people. And the 1920s, you see a big break in that. Break in the sense you, you see a big jump. You, you see large sections of the Indian people brought in. The working class uh, is brought in, as I said, from Ahmedabad onwards. But in during the movement itself, the Assam tea laborers uh, are, are brought in. Uh, the peasantry is brought in. In, in Guntur, in Awadh, in Midnapur, you know, in many parts of the country, peasant issues are taken up in Malabar or during the non-cooperation movement. Tenants issues are taken up. So another section of society is brought in. Women, <clears throat> and this is very important, women are brought in in a very big way during the non-cooperation. And Gandhiji's role in that was very, very important. Women are brought in, for example, as leaders in some of the most important uh, parts of the non-cooperation movement, such as uh, picketing of liquor shops. Just imagine, even now, women hesitate to go near any liquor, liquor shop because of the situation out there, right? Now, women were said to be the people who would prevent people. And they led that movement. They led the boycott movement. Two of the most important movements of the non-cooperation movement was handed over to women by Gandhiji. I mean, his famous statement that I have brought the, the woman out of the kitchen. It is your job to ensure that, you know, <laughs> they don't go back to it. You see, so it is often not recognized Gandhi's enormous role in bringing women into the movement. It is in this period during the non-cooperation that Sarojini Naidu was the president of the Bombay Provincial Congress Committee. She, along with Perrin Captain, who later became Perrin Chandra and others, formed the Rashtriya Stri Samiti, you know, and so organized women in a sense hmm, uh, for participation in the non-cooperation movement. The bringing in of the Dalit. Again, remember, the 1920s is the time when the Congress is reorganized by Gandhiji. What, what does he do? Sets up a working committee. 15-member working committee. That is a movement must be run by a group of people, by a united leadership at the top. It needs a leadership, right? But it mustn't be dealing from the people. So therefore, he also ensures that the movement, that the Congress will have right up to the village level committees, village level committee, then taluka level committee, then, you know, from the village right up to the top, to the AICC and then the working committee. So democratizing the party on the one hand, on the other hand, making it a fighting unit. Third, reducing the membership to four annas, to something that was affordable. Again, a gesture that bring the people in it. Most importantly, you could now become a member of the Indian National Congress if you were, if you believed in Hindu-Muslim unity. A and B, if you were willing to fight against untouchability. So in 1920 itself, untouchability is made a central issue by the major organization of the Indian national movement in its constitution. To sum it up, as I was saying, that various classes, various sections, the youth, the students, the boycott of schools and colleges was a big success. Something like 90,000 uh, students left 
government schools and colleges which is a huge number at that time and wherever they to go something like 800 nationalist schools and colleges were set up that is when the famous jamia millia islamia is set up that is when the gujarat vidyapeeth is set up you know as part of uh, institutions which which will replace the government institutions because gandhi ji had said at the very beginning of the national movement that it is incredible that a few hundred thousand people from outside should rule over millions of other <laughs> indians and he said it, it is possible only if we cooperate with them if we do not cooperate it is not possible so therefore the idea was do not cooperate get out of government schools get out of government service get out of the army that call is also given hmm, that do not be part of this imperial effort etc and all of them were leave courts all the as you know that that most of the nationalist leaders at that time were lawyers hmm? lawyers unlike now who do corporate law at that time did a lot of politics and politics for the people hmm? and the tallest of the lawyers i mean that I, mean, i could just name you name them you know cr das motilal nehru saifuddin kichlu all of them gave up very successful practices hmm? and said that's not what we are going to do and joined the national movement hmm? so it it had a major impact you know societally speaking yes so yes. both in terms of the depth so uh, the movement democratized uh, india's freedom struggle and it provided a structure in the form of a new congress how did the british respond i think they gave it a little leeway they took about a year to realize how important this movement was and uh, because the movement really picks up by january 2021 it's launched in august 20 the congress uh, accepts this this is launched by gandhi ji i mean he doesn't it is very different from the congress party accepting it it accepts in september and in december 20 the indian national congress it, in its annual sessions passes a resolution formally saying this is it and these are the programs that we are going to follow etc and the movement really picks up in a big way after that hmm? not that before that nothing was happening but it really picks up across the board by the end of the year the british are uh, deeply disturbed hmm? and they realize that this is going too far and they this uh, the resort to what they do in such situations to a strategy of repression Hmm? massive repression so something like 30000 people were put in jail straight away now that's a huge number hmm? 30000 were put in jail and uh, in fact it is this repression that gandhi ji tries to meet by announcing in the beginning of 22 january 22 to the british in his usual uh, style that he will first tell his opponent look this is what i am going to do if you do not do this 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 because he was a very open person hmm? didn't believe in uh, underground activity and etc you know it, this was an open movement so in good faith he says that you release all the prisoners stop the repression or else we will have to launch a civil disobedience movement hmm? which is what he planned to do from bardoli hmm? very shortly but then chori chora intervened one of the departures that we saw was that gandhi till this stage till 1919 still had faith in reform and progress within the empire 
is it around this time that Gandhi makes this break and declares that if non if the non cooperation movement is implemented effectively, he will attain Swaraj for India within a year? I would see it a little more than that. That it is not that Gandhi discovers only in nineteen twenty. There is no way out of this, you know. But to launch a full struggle, Gandhi's whole strategy was always to give the benefit of the doubt to the other side. Hmm? That you claim these, these, these. This is what your system is, hmm? and I expect you to. Therefore, you call us members of the empire, hmm? citizens of the empire. So I expect equal rights from you. And he will first expect that, demand that, and if that. That doesn't happen. Then take the next step. That is why he had hegemonic influence with everybody. That is why he could carry the loyalists also with him. You see, why is it that from Jayakar to Yemas Namudripad are all willing to have Gandhi ji as the leadership? Because you had to carry all sorts, all parts. Of, you know, to give to add to it further. This is the period when the traders and capitalists also joined the national movement. The Tilak Swaraj Fund, which was started for the non cooperation was oversubscribed and the main contributors to the, to this was the traders in 1920s and in by 1927 the federation of indian chambers of commerce is formed which clearly puts himself on the side of the indian national congress so he is able to bring in all sections of society precisely because he doesn't take a premature step he gives the other side Every possible opportunity, and then when they demonstrably to everybody, including to the followers of the regime, including the to the people in England, this victory was possible because he could show to the people in England itself that what your regime is doing is not right, hmm? and that is what he does here also. He knew in from South Africa itself what imperialism was. You know, it, as I said, he didn't have to wait till then. But this was his strategy. He did it again in thirties. You know, he did it every time. That give the other side the opportunity, and if they did not, and that is when you launch your movement. Would you agree with this criticism that Khilafat was a mistake that deepened the communalization of Indian politics? What was happening in the communal forces in the country after they were promoted? Assiduously by the British since the late 19th century, and the setting up of the Muslim League uh, as virtually a command performance, as you know, hmm? what you what you witness is that increasingly the radical nationalist elements were beginning to dominate even within the Muslim League. That is why the the Muslim League was beginning to resemble in many ways hmm? the Congress. That is why it was possible to have the the Lucknow Pact. Hmm? Of course, it was a mistake to accept separate electorates as a principle, which was reversed and never done again. But the coming together of the Muslim League and the Congress is partly because of the nature of the communalism at that time and the communal parties undergoing a change and the possibility that was seen that this can be put to an end. Hmm? What happens after that is <clears throat> with the Khilafat. The Muslim League and the communalists are further weakened. Many Muslim leagues leave the Muslim League and join the Khilafat. All right, so they become anti-imperialist from a loyalist party committed to supporting Britain, which is what the Muslim League was from 1907. That only the British can save us. Otherwise, if the British go away, the Hindus will eat us up. That was basic 
the communal uh, principle on which the Muslim League was formed. Right now, they are they they are moving into a position of anti-imperialism. So it was a great uh, step forward. The Khilafat movement brought large sections of the Muslims into a political anti-imperialist stance, which was a great achievement. It did not happen before that. What they had succeeded in doing, the British had succeeded in doing from Syed Ahmad Khan's uh, shift in strategy onwards was to keep the Muslims out of politics altogether. Hmm? And now they come into politics, but they come into politics on the nationalist side. What a, what a remarkable moment. So take us to Chauri Chaura. The movement had an abrupt end because of this violent incident in Chauri Chaura. What happened? How did Gandhi respond? And what are the debates around that decision to end the movement? What happened is a very uh, sort of non-controversial, factual uh, situation that in this area, in Gorakhpur, Chauri Chaura, uh, one of the demonstrations nationalist demonstrations of the Khilafat and nationalists was attacked by the police and in retaliation the crowd got very agitated and they attacked the police station, they burnt the police station, they hacked several policemen to death and something like 22 policemen died. And this happened when just before the movement was to be formally launched only in Bardoli. And Gandhiji had made it a condition that not only violent movements anywhere, he says no non-violent movement should also occur anywhere else. He had sensed the mood that it, he would not be able to control it. And that's exactly what happened, that even before the movement started, the people were so aroused that faced with the provocation, they reacted in a manner which was unacceptable to Gandhiji. And he withdraws the movement altogether. The issues that have been raised are the usual ones, unfortunately, quite often from the left. So they became mythologies. You know, R.P. Dutt, for example, wrote about it. The reason why Gandhiji did it because he was supporting the propertied classes, that they feared a social revolution. The whole subaltern theory that Gandhiji, instead of bringing the masses into action, was actually controlling the masses preventing the masses into action. Believe it or not, I mean, people write this stuff even now, hmm? that Gandhiji actually prevented the movement from becoming revolutionary. We learned exactly the opposite, that he, not only we, Lenin also described Gandhi as revolutionary because he said he brought an inert people into political action. After the mutiny, it was not easy for the Indian people to again raise their head the kind of atrocity, the, the repression, repression when it goes beyond a level, it can kill movements for generations after that. You know, to yet in that situation, make, take fear out of the people of uh, India, of the minds of the people of India. You know, it, it was a great achievement that once again, people were willing, ordinary people, poor people were willing to struggle. So what... Uh, so to come back to the Chauri Chaura incident, the reason why Gandhiji withdraws the movement is not because there's a threat to property relations. Firstly, the Chauri Chaura people who did the killing were not attacking any property relations. They were not anti-money lender, they were not anti-landlord, it was not an anti-landlord movement. It was doing nothing at all for property relations. Secondly, at that point of time when Chauri Chaura happened, all the radical movements, the peasant movements, whether it is in uh, 
Guntur or in Awadh, etc., had already died down. So it didn't require Gandhiji to withdraw the movement. That movement already had died down. Thirdly, why was the Gandhi called the general? You know, the, it is very interesting that a person who believes in non-violence, to, total pacifist, hmm, should be called the general of the movement by everybody. Because he was seen as a person who knew when to withdraw a movement. A general doesn't wait till a movement, till the battle has been decimated, till everybody has been killed and he says, I withdraw. You withdraw at a time when you are still at, at a point where you can resist, where you are at a peak or when you have already sensed that you are going to be defeated. Now, if you look at what has been, what was happening just before Chauri Chaura, there is across the country, the students were coming back to school, you know, the, the one-year-old movement, let us remember, mass movements globally, everywhere, historically, can never be permanent movements. Guerrilla movements can be. For 50 years, for 100 years, you can have a guerrilla movement. Movements of professional revolutionaries, committed professional revolutionaries. That is very different. Mass movements, ordinary people, poor people, cannot sustain themselves for years and years and years. The uh, mass movement's capacity to face repression is also limited. How much repression can they face? How much repression can a poor peasant face? He will die beyond a point. You know? So all these factors have to be taken into account when you decide to withdraw a movement. Research, this is exactly the issue that was raised for the Gandhi Pact also in 1931. Every withdrawal is not surrender. At that point of time, it feels like so. When Chauri Chaura happened, even Jawaharlal Nehru and others say, oh my God, you know, Gandhiji is, why is, why is he doing that, etc. But read them afterwards, you know. Read the same Jawaharlal Nehru talking about Chauri Chaura afterwards. And they understand, they realize that, you know, why it was necessary. Apart from the fact that if the movement had got, got violent, hmm, the price that the Indian people would have had to pay hmm, in the manner of its suppression would, is, is a burden that Gandhiji was not going to take on his back. He, he was, didn't want to be a revolutionary hmm, by using the people as cannon fodder. No, thank you, sir, for laying out the historical context in which the Mahatma made this decision to withdraw the movement. In looking back, where would you place the non-cooperation movement in the broader arc of India's freedom struggle? I, I would say that it was in the long uh, war for India's freedom. Hmm? It was a major battle. So, Deshi was the first big battle, then the non-cooperation, then the civil disobedience and then 42. You know, these were progressively bigger and bigger battles. Confrontationist battles, which did not mean that the battle did not exist in the intervening period. And that is again to Gandhi's credit, that when you were not doing a confrontation, is not when you sat back. The surrender theory walas need to look relook at it. The period of so-called surrender is the period that Gandhiji used to rearm your the forces, you know, increase the forces through the constructive work, through reaching out to the people. Thank you once again, sir, for taking us through this remarkable episode in India's national movement. The Mahatma, within five years of returning to India, had changed the character of the Indian national struggle. 
he had deepened the imprint of the Congress across the length and breadth of the country, uh, extended it to social groups which had otherwise, till that point, who had not been participants in this struggle. He had frontally taken on the British and taken the fears out of the Indian psyche and shown to the Indian people that the British could be challenged and could even be defeated. The non-cooperation movement itself saw mass-based, sustained, united offensive against the British from all parts of the country. Hindus and Muslims came together and while the movement ended abruptly, it deepened the consciousness, the nationalist consciousness and served as a foundation for the future struggles that were to emerge in the following decades, eventually leading up to August 15th, 1947. Thank you so much, sir, for taking us through this. Please stay with us on this journey as we turn to the next episode in the national movement, the Dandi March. Thank you so much, Prashant. This episode of 1947 Road to Indian Independence was conceptualized and hosted by Prashant Shah. It was produced by Deepthi Ahuja. The sound design and editing is by Amrinder Singh. For more updates on this podcast, follow HD Smartcast on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube and LinkedIn. To listen to more such podcasts, log on to hdsmartcast.com. This was a Hindustan Times production brought to you by HD Smartcast. HD Smartcast.